Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is happening, my friend? Welcome to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. I'm your host, the founder of EnhancedEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and today's guest is a four-time WSOP gold bracelet winner with more than $5.6 million in live tournament winnings, Jeff Madsen. Jeff has been a known entity in the poker world for what seems like forever, beginning with his scorching hot start on poker's biggest stage as the 2006 WSOP Player of the Year. In 2006, Jeff won more than $1.4 million, two WSOP gold bracelets, while also becoming the youngest person to ever win a bracelet at the ripe old age of 21 years and five weeks, a record that was later shattered by a then 18-year-old Annette Oberstad at the WSOP Europe. Jeff is a human being who simply loves battling in the poker arena and has no plans of ever calling it quits. In our conversation today, we're going to get into that fateful 2006, which shockingly saw his bankroll go from the high four figures to seven figures in less than a month and how that affected his life in not all positive ways. The shocking impact of Black Friday as a red full tilt pro the consequences of achieving so much success at a young age, and much, much more. You'll also learn about physical tells and reading energy in the live poker arena, why Jeff believes he had so much success right off the bat, why money management is like Ron Burgundy, kind of a big deal, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you my conversation with the one and only Jeff Madsen. Jeff, how are we doing, my man? Good afternoon. What's up? It's going well. Good to see you. I wanted to start out by asking you, how did you get your start playing cards? Like, where did, you know, I know that you were playing at 18 years old and you started crushing at the WSOP at 21. Um, How did that come about? Yeah, I think it probably just kind of naturally started for me just being good at games, good at strategy type situations. You know, I always played video games and just kind of was always a gamer. So the mindset was always there where I was competitive with my friends, always, you know, wanting to win whatever we were playing. So that that came natural. And yeah, I was always good at, you know, I didn't like wasn't in love with math, but I was always kind of naturally just good at you know, math and, you know, um, whatever is required. So when poker kind of came around, when Moneymaker won and the boom, the boom kind of started again. Um, yeah, it was good timing. I mean, I was 18 and it was the summer before high school and me and my friends just kind of started playing home games after watching it on TV. And, uh, I went to college in Santa Barbara where there was, you know, a good, uh, Indian casino nearby that I would play at and get probably a lot more live, you know, experience than, you know, from 18 to 21, 
than a lot of people would, you know, because most most people that age just playing kind of home games and that's about it. I was playing home games, playing at the casino a lot and playing like party poker and stuff like that. So yeah, just kind of started naturally from there. And I just studied a lot, read a lot of books and just kind of knew that felt like I was good at it, but I was kind of until I turned 21, it was sort of just more small scale stuff where I was winning. But yeah, that gave me the confidence and kind of just didn't look back after I turned 21. What was the bankroll you started with when you were going to the casino? Did you have any other forms of income? Like, did you have a job? How did that, how'd that work? Yeah. I mean, I was really just going to college and no time for, didn't have a job. Probably the bankroll the whole time, you know, peaked, peaked at maybe eight, nine K, you know, it was just kind of like a couple K to like 10 K at the most. Cause I was just playing, you know, just playing two, five messing around playing like 60 to a hundred dollar tournaments. So really I'd never seen more than, um, more than like eight thousand, eight, nine K just myself before. So, uh, yeah. So when the leap came to go play the world series, I really just, uh, you know, I borrowed a little money, like I had a college fund and my parents gave me a little money just as like, I'd been working hard at it and it, they weren't like in love with the idea of poker, you know, at first, but they knew kind of, I just turned 21 right before the series been playing a lot, you know, felt confident. So it's like, here's my schedule. I'm just going to, you know, go hopefully just play like six, seven tournaments and see what happens. So what happened? How did, how did that series go from not having a bankroll more than 10 K? What happened? Yeah. No bankroll really just all pure, just rookie, you know, mentality. Like I'm a win and super confident super, you know, hyper aggressive, which, you know, nowadays would be too aggressive. But then, you know, I was getting away with more. And, it, you know, the game was a little bit uh, easier, obviously. Um, but yeah, I just uh, came in. And I think my third, third tournament, something like that was like a 2k Omaha high low event. I was already playing a lot of Omaha and stud. So uh, yeah, so I got third in that, you know, just kind of had a good run played well got third in that for like 100,000. So yeah, already I have $100,000. So that's already, you know, more than I could have imagined. I mean, I imagined it, but like once I had it, it was like the most money I'd ever seen by times 10. Yeah, so just springboarding off that confidence. I mean, just got to play the rest of the series now off of that, just feeling like a free roll and still confident and just kind of went out there and won the won the no limit, 2K no limit, maybe about a week or two later something like that. And, you know, it was a big field, like 1700 people. So obviously, you know, I'm winning my flips and stuff, but you know, the aggression was just really paying off then and just kind of my style, no one was really combating it. Um, so yeah, I won that for like 650 K <laughs> and, and uh, now I'm just like, cool, you know, money doesn't like mean anything yet. Now I'm just like in Vegas with all the money, still just playing tournaments, not really spending it yet. But uh, yeah, and then a week later, I won the 5K 6 Max for uh, 650K. <laughs> so, you know, and then I got, and then finally I got a third place in Stud High Low like a week later for like 70K. So, you know, my first year, confident, just kind of dreamed about it, declared it, delivered it somehow, you know, more than I had imagined. But in retrospect, you know, I kind of just was playing, playing my best and playing aggressive and no one had no one had played with me before. None of these guys had ever played with me. So that probably was, that probably helped. So you go from having never had a 10K bankroll 
to like one month later having over a million dollar bankroll. When you think about the mixed games, first of all, I want to touch on the mixed games. Like, were you a regular playing Omaha High Low cash games when you were 18 years old? Because I know that lots of folks get in the specialization mode when it comes to poker. Not a lot of folks play all the games. The fact that this is your first series, uh, probably, you know, these are probably the biggest buy in tournaments you had played at that point. Is that fair to say? Yeah, just by far. Yeah. yeah. I played, uh, I played like a 500 a few times and there's no other opportunities really. Cause I had turned 21 literally like a couple weeks before the series. So it's not like I could play anything outside of online or Indian casino pretty was, much anyway. So. What was the strategy playing the mixed game? Did you feel like you were a better mixed game player than Hold'em? What was the rationale or you just said, screw it. I'm just jumping in whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Just, I think from day one, I was just, you know, I'm kind of more of a, like to be balanced and kind of play everything. And that's how my mind works. You know, I like playing eight game mix and yeah. And from the beginning, I think I understood that. And I probably, probably like just had super system and, you know, those games were in there. I'm sure I read that first. And at the casino, there was probably like two, four, you know, limit Omaha high low or four, eight, whatever it was. So I was definitely playing some live in that enough had big and then online i probably got into omaha game by mistake you know how that is you like click and then you get four cards uh (laughs) and then yeah i think just from the books you know super system and whatever sections i read on them uh i was just like yeah i want to play everything and you know these games are different but it's still poker and i think i could tell i was like good at those games right away too you know um and uh you know really aggressive probably to you know overly aggressive in those games too but um you know it worked out so where i was able to you know have final tables in omaha and stud my first series just because i had put a couple years into those games as well looking back at that kid do you Mm -hmm. would you characterize that kid as like fearless or kind of a dummy (laughs) like fearless or like (laughs) like naive ignorant um Mm -hmm. outsized expectations yeah I think if, I mean, a lot of us, I think if we looked at our like past selves, you know, a decade or so, you're going to call him a dummy, you know, because, uh, I mean, I was smart, still me, I had a good head on my shoulders, but, uh, you know, fearless, yes, which was good, but there's definitely a, a stubborn, a stubbornness to just winning right away where maybe I was working so hard up to that point, but once you succeed, you know you do become come of a dummy where you think it's like easier than it is, at least subconsciously, or you make some mistakes with your bankroll and stuff. So obviously if I went back, you know, I'd be a better player. Um, but I just mostly, I would, you know, just make better decisions uh, with the money and with like knowing how to, you know, look at the big picture and not expect like, Oh, every year I'm going to win two bracelets. You know, it's like so easy. So yeah, definitely. He was a dummy. He was overconfident, but like, not, you know, not egotistically. I was just telling my friends I was going to win based on that I was doing well. And the confidence helped, you know, when you're making a play and you're, you know, really confident in it, you know, even if you're overly aggressive, I mean, it's hard for people to, you know, you're not cracking. You're not, you know, people can't see through that facade of overconfidence. That can help. So then, you know, a lot of people go through a period in their career where they struggle with now, you know, confidence once they deal with some of the variants or losing or, you know, people saying whatever, you know, about your game. So 
yeah, it's been it's come a long way, but uh, you know, God puts the fear in you a little bit, but mostly just I mean, he makes you smarter because you make some bad decisions on the poker table and off. So yeah, now, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's something to be said for like these roles that folks get on, like you're just crushing every tournament, you're doing well, you're going deep, you're playing well. When you play inspired and you have confidence, there is a lot to be said about that. I I feel like if you're at a cash game table and you're just smashing people, like automatically people start making worse decisions against you. They start, they start having fear and you, you continue having that confidence. So like when you are playing inspired, you are making better decisions and there is a lot to be said. Going back to that first 600 K tournament, do you remember 600 K bink? Do you remember the thoughts that went through your head? Like, as you're mm-hmm. as you're going to the final table, I mean, do you remember anything leading up there? I mean, I just remember feeling like I'm playing well, and you know, when you have no caches yet or no hended mob, or you know, there's no there's no expectations from others. You know, you're just kind of like it's on yourself. Like, oh, I'm going to expect to play good. And after that first Omaha high low cash, I think it was just kind of a dream a bit because that was just a lot of money. So this point i'm just running pretty well in this tournament and my all my bluffs are working right and my last few tables you know i win a key flip i remember here and there but yeah i just think um you know the first final table it's not uh wasn't any like huge names so it's not like there was any nerves like playing against anyone huge so yeah i just felt i just felt good about it and everything just fell into place and it's kind of weird looking back and talking about it but I told everyone I was going to do it and then I just like, I did it and it didn't feel like, you know, it, it, it's not like it was so easy, but it didn't feel like the toughest thing in the world. I just kind of played my game. My bluffs worked and I was just playing super aggressive and, uh, you know, it just felt, it just felt right. You know, it's interesting telling folks that you're going to do it and then going out and executing and do, doing it. Do you think heading in that gave you a little extra confidence, um, or self-belief? Yeah, I mean, telling I mean the fact that I was telling people was the confidence itself, just kind of saying I'm good at this. I've watched a lot of poker on TV and you know, I see how people play and I know I'm going to like I just felt like I'm going to be like friends with these guys and I'll be, you know, I'll be friends with Negranu and you know, like why why can't I be like a, you know, professional? So yeah, I was already confident and uh sometimes that's, you know, what you have to remember later on in your career is just like forget the variance and like, yeah, things can go wrong, but you got to make your plays and be confident in them. And, you know, when you're just on a roll or you just won a lot of money, there's no fear. Or there's no worry about making a certain play, even if it's kind of a cusp play, like it's an aggressive play. You're not like, Oh, but you know, I could, you know, fold and wait for a closer, a better spot. No, you, you take a spot. You think it's good. Even if it seems maybe high risk or maybe high variance in theory. So I think I was just taking a lot of, you know, you just take every spot, right? When you're kind of on a roll, you take every above average spot more. Whereas sometimes when you're in the hole or like having cashed in a while, you're like, you know, you kind of think ahead. Well, if I make this crazy play, it doesn't work. I'm out of another tournament. So you might, you might tend towards a little more, you know, GTO or non-exploitative crazy stuff, which you don't always want to do. I mean, to win a tournament, you know, and build a stack, sometimes you just have to, you know, take the spots because you might not get a better spot, you know, and 
you know, it might only work 70% of the time, but you take it and that's the key pot for your tournament. So confidence is everything. And just kind of, uh, I mean, the studying's everything too, knowing what you're doing and understanding spots. But if you're not confident in some of these spots, uh, good players will see through you or you just might not pull the trigger in the, the very key spots that you need to. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting that when folks are running bad and I run into this with my students, they start playing tighter. They start passing up on plus EV spots. And it's because in their minds they're imagining all the bad things that have happened and they're, they're imagining themselves as being unlucky. They don't want to get it in. They don't think they can fade a flip. They don't think they can fade an overcard or whatever it is. So they start passing up spots and, and the, their idea is that it decreases the variance, right? But when you keep passing up good spots, your variance increases. When you start playing tighter, um, you start bleeding money away and your variance goes through the roof. Like it's yeah. always take the plus EV play, move forward from there. That's going to decrease your variance long term. It's just this interesting human adjustment where it's like, I'm super unlucky. I don't want to do this. I'm going to bust out. So I'm going to pass it up. Uh, but yeah. it actually it is, is sort of a yeah. double edged sword. It's a very, you know, it's a very results oriented kind of mindset that people get into. Like, oh, I've lost the last few times with Kings. So, I mean, it shouldn't affect how you play Kings this time if you feel like, you played those hands well enough. So yeah, and some people do the opposite. They're losing, so they get way too loose and they're just in too many hands and trying to like make up back the chips they lost theoretically or win this tournament because they haven't won one in a while and they're playing too aggro. But it's true that you see more of the tightening up and more of that energy shift to just like, all right, let's just make really like, you know, straightforward, good decisions and, you know, and they're not building enough chips and they're wondering why they, you know, have short stacks every time middle way through the tournament or they're not really, you know, don't have that final push or that final big stack to kind of make a big push in the tournament. It's because they're, they're, they're going to have to be running pretty well in that tournament to have a big stack because they're not taking enough spots. So, yeah, they want a sure thing in the most unsure game. <laughs> like there, yeah, there are no very more. few <laughs> sure things when it comes to to playing a poker tournament. Um, yeah. you, you can't just get rid of the variance or luck element of it. It's just always a part of the game. Um, be there. So, so you crush year one. You win a couple crush. of bracelets. You make some final tables. You mentioned expectations. There were no expectations for you. Let's go to the following year and talk about those expectations. Did they have any impact Mm -hmm. on you? Did you feel the weight of them going back? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I I was 21 and I win player of the year. So people are going to have expectations or just I'm going to have it on myself. And it's just that kind of sort of hubris of like, okay, I'm just going to go out there and say aggression and win a couple bracelets again. And yeah, for sure. I, I definitely, I wasn't probably wasn't playing as well that year, you know, cause you're, you're, you're thinking about the result first, you know, like let's win the bracelet. And then when you're not cashing the first few and you're not cashing that much first couple of weeks, yeah. You know, you want to be careful not to get frantic. And again, I was probably just doing the overly aggressive thing, right. Where, uh, some people might tighten up. I'm just like, oh, well, I'm, I've got to get this. And, you know, playing playing aggro and probably wasn't working as much. And, um, 
yeah, I think that it can be tough, like for a young kid, you know, you have all this money now, you know, kind of a shy kid, you know, more attention on you. There is some expectations, right? And people are writing stuff or people say this or that. And you don't know yet to ignore what people say and just kind of do you. Um, so there's that. And just, uh, you know, it's fun to win. So when you go out and you don't have as good a year, you're not having as much fun. Um, and I'm young, I'm less patient. So it probably got to me, you know, where I was just getting more upset that year. And I mean, I love the game. So say I'm, I, you know, I do still get, uh, I'll let out some, you know, upsetness after a tournament sometimes, sometimes still, but it doesn't affect me now. It doesn't really affect my game now. You know, oh, I'm running bad. I've busted some tournaments. It doesn't really affect my game like it probably did like that, that second year, you know, where I'm just not running as good or however I want to define it. I, I'm sure I was, uh, my confidence got, got a big hit to it. You know, um, I still knew I was good, but uh, it just felt so easy the first year just because it was kind of easy for how much money I won. You know, I mean, there were two huge bracelets. You know, usually when you win that much money in a month, it's like there's a high roller or like the main event involved. But I just won like, you know, a couple, couple bracelets. So, yeah, it was a, I think the, the next couple of years were kind of tough, probably just a learning process, probably having a, slow down a little bit, not play as aggro and not give away chip stacks, you know, and just the punts, the punts were, the punts were there for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I can imagine. Fun. <laughs> it, yeah. You <laughs> I, I definitely like riding off the success of your first WSOP and being an aggressive player in general. If your mindset is compromised where you're frustrated at all, I think the tendency is going to be depressed. The tendency is going to go from a 10 to an 11 and there's this very fine line in poker where you go from being aggressive, like in control aggressive, to being out of control pressing aggressive where you're just punting or spewing chips. Yeah, you're not even thinking. You're just, you're just making the play. You're not really thinking logically. You're just like you find yourself in this big pot or like the guy three bets you and you're just, let's just jam it in there, ace deuce off, you know, and uh, you, you lose, you know. You just, you know, you you go black a little bit and you just kind of, uh, yeah, that, that's just more the rookie mentality that I was in where I was good, but very unpolished. So, And I want to go back, back to something you said before too about, you know, people didn't know who you were. They didn't have any expectations and you had that aggressive style. But I, I do, you know, kind of want to make the counter argument that people even back in 2006, you know, they're not dumb. They They, after, you know, around a level of playing with you they're going to catch on that you're being more aggressive than most people right for sure but i think that like like uh i just said before you know it's a controlled aggression and probably something they hadn't faced at that point in the poker world with a regular basis uh the game there wasn't as much information about the game first of all and secondly yeah just being super aggressive did do some good things, um, especially like when, you know, if you had any concept that folks are like check raising their sets or their two pair on the flop with regular basis, this gives you the latitude to just fire away on the turn in the river because you know they cap their range. They're never slow playing um, any big hands. So you just, you can accumulate chips with like lower risk back yeah. in the day. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. It was just like, People weren't didn't have the skill sets to like know how to combat the aggression. Um, 
you know, because I was, you know, when I was winning and, and, and confident the first year, I mean, I was still employing, you know, I understood pot control and I wasn't just like firing my middle pairs on the flop, obviously. So the way I was structuring it, they just, you know, it just felt like they didn't have, like most people didn't, especially amateurs, they just didn't have the tools to combat it, you know, and yeah, there's the occasional a time they would try and, you know, they would try and play back at me and, you know, my live reads are pretty good. So I just think, you know, yeah, they, they figure out, oh, this guy's kind of aggressive, but there, there's no sense of what to do about it, I think. Um, you know, because like 03, when Moneymaker won to the next few years, I thought like there was a lot of hyper-aggressive players, really. I mean, that you saw on TV. I mean, there's some, but uh, I think it took a few years for people to start getting better and polishing it and being aggressive in the right way. Like I'm pretty sure I remember that 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 WSOP when Moneymaker won. Amir Vahidi bluffed off like a giant percentage of his stack <laughs> on like a stone cold bluff. So maybe he was one of the more aggressive <laughs> players. And I would say, too, is it's like, yeah. you know, the adjustment for them, um, not knowing how to handle it, they internalize it as I'm just going to trap this dude. I'm going to wait for a big hand. I'm going to re-raise him. He's just going to bomb it off and then i'm just going to get all his chips but like when you have the finesse in your game and you recognize what's going on you already have the counter strategy in place so that just isn't going to get it done they're just going to bleach it and yeah they you know and i think when uh you know if your live reads are good and then you know you play with people that day and then you'll notice when they just try and make a make a shift or do something out of character so yeah, I think uh, it wasn't just the aggression; it's just my live reads um, were were always a big part of my game. So, Where does that come from? Yeah. And and uh, let's quantify live reads specifically. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, just where did it come from? I mean, I think naturally, just understanding like subtle human tendencies, and then really just paying attention a lot at the table. But you know, I think we all grow up; we have certain childhoods, like parents, people around you, sometimes you're naturally in a situation where you have to learn how to read people or, you know, whatever your life situation might be, you know, some people can know when someone's a little upset or a little bit, you know, excited or happy. So wherever that came from, who knows, just reading, you know, my parents or whoever, and always being interested in, um, you know, in film, that's what I went to school for, just kind of that aspect, which is, you know, a lot of like uh, film people play poker and stuff. But besides that, it's just that um, watching film and understanding the nuances of like just human, just movements, you know, subtle movements, right? Acting is about making a subtle movement or, you know, doing something like that. So I think just, yeah, film, you know, just studying people, understanding people, you know, thinking logically about what certain movements might mean. That's something that just came natural to me a little bit. And uh, maybe just part of my, you know, I am kind of introverted, introspective a lot of the time. So my ability to just kind of be quiet and kind of look at people and kind of, you know, every hand, I'm, I'm taking time every decision. And I, I was back then too, just to think about what's going on. And, you know, I just got good at you know, oh, the guy touched his mouth and did this with his chips. I got good at kind of analyzing that kind of stuff. So because of that, I always kind of felt like I'm always been more of a live just feel player at heart, you know, whereas I was playing online, but I think my my skill really came from just live and like learning about people, studying people. 
there there is this um you know film uh movies is driven by storytelling and there is an element of storytelling that is involved in poker people when they take a line they're telling a story they're you know trying to whatever it is you you're determining their objective right and if you can see through the bs um even if it's something that in their mind is out of character like so many times you know guys can play super tight and then they can just go off like a rocket for seemingly no reason and to be able to pick up on that when it's out of character is definitely a massive plus ev skill that kind of looks like a magic trick but um there's always a reason, right? There's always some sort of physical tell. There's some past history, some data point you've picked up on, some information collection. Um, yeah, there's always something. I mean, it starts with starts with just understanding betting patterns and poker, and then you know you could sometimes call someone's exact hand without even seeing the player. Other times, you know, you you do get a lot from yeah, like you said, like you're telling a story, they're telling a story. How do you, you know, first of all, what story are they trying to tell, you know, and what story are they just, you know, are they, a big thing is like, are they doing these movements or acting like this naturally, or is it kind of an act, you know, which goes back to the film stuff. It's like some people are just playing and they're not trying to control any of their emotions or movements. So you can kind of read it for being genuine. Now, now it's like, okay, what does this movement mean? It's a genuine movement he did. What does this mean based on all these other people you've viewed and what this logically could mean about what's going on in the person's body? You know, if they're nervous, you notice things in the way they put out the chips. You notice things in the way that they're moving or interacting or, you know, oh, it's the river and this guy's talking to me. I mean, he, he's, he's pretty strong. I mean, or he's pretty comfortable. And sometimes, the, sometimes reads are pretty straightforward, you know, like an amateur, he seems pretty comfortable. He's comfortable. He seems a little nervous. He's kind of nervous, and you got to figure out why. Amateurs are just less good at telling the story uh, to get the benefit they want, you know. And uh, conversely, you know, I'm out there. Sometimes I'm just robotic and not doing anything. But against certain people, I am trying to convey a certain story, you know, with reverse tells or just understanding what happened the last few hands we played. Oh, I did this. Okay, so I think this is going to be a good spot to triple barrel then. And, uh, you know, and then throwing the reverse tells in there, may, may just making yourself really hard to, you know, if someone was watching you, it's hard to put you, pin you down because you're throwing out of a lot of information that's telling, telling them a story you want them to see. That's not going to be good for them. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. it's, uh, amateurs especially because it's a high pressure situation a spot that they're not used to being in. It's unfamiliar, but even for professionals, I mean, there's definitely been cash game pots where I'm battling and I know that I give a physical tell. And it's like, it's like I do it and then I have awareness of it. And I think, fuck, I hope they didn't see me like, (laughs) and, and like even, even other professionals, you know, sometimes like I see a big pot guy puts his chips out and his hand is shaking and he's like a seasoned professional that plays 60 hours a week. And, uh, I remember seeing that one time specifically dude's hand was shaking. He like pulled it back. Like he got bit by a snake, right? Cause like <laughs> yeah. he, he realized what happened and I was like, Holy shit. And, uh, he was an aggressive yeah. player and he had aces. Right. And I think he had been running fairly bad that week. So maybe that, that impacted, um, his nerves in this massive pot that yeah. he was about to play. But like, Physical tells are there for for professionals and amateurs alike. You really have to pay attention. 
one thing that I've thought a lot about, and I don't know, this is like the um, the super difficult to quantify type realm of, I know that human beings have an aura, right? They, they give out an electromagnetic pulse. And I do think that there are some folks that are more sensitive to reading just the mood of somebody, the energy that they're giving off. Has that happened to you at all? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think sometimes it's so subtle that you can't attribute it to energy. And, you know, that could might affect one tiny little, you know, smile or something. But I'm a big believer in energy. I'm a big believer in there's a lot that we don't like physically see, but that you can pick up on. And part of my, you know, my reads and, you know, it's just being around people and really trying to understand them. And, you know, being around someone who's upset or being around someone who's comfortable there is a vibe, you know, there is some energy there. So you might not see it, it might be subtle, but you're going to pick up on it the more you really lock in and pay attention. And sometimes, yeah, it's really hard to define. It's not definable. I'll just be like, you know, and it, it could sound like bullshit to someone. It's like, oh, I three about the guy, you know, and the guy wasn't moving. And then just, yeah, it just like felt like he was weak. And someone who watched would be like, where, how could you possibly pick that up? And, you know, it is, it's an energy thing and it's just your, you know, your mind also kind of subtly running through all the experiences you've had with that player, all the times anyone you've played with has moved their hand like that. So there is like a backlog, you know, of just memories of observances, but big believer in energy and like, you know, this is why I've heard some of my friends, you know, microdose acid or something like that. It's not just for fun. It's just like do something like a psychedelic drug and now you're you're starting to see more of the energy just you know like if you've done you know if you've done anything like that before you, you realize that you are more in tune with the universe in certain ways but you can be in tune without drugs it's just the point is there's something going on there that's non-visible and uh you know even just someone's eyes or their brain you know is sending you know you look at someone in the eyes like there's an automatic thing that happens right or just their brain waves, you know, you can logically, you can probably pick up on uh, thoughts, you know, thoughts or vibrations too. It so, is, it is scientifically yeah. proven that we give off energy that there, we do have an electromagnetic pulse around us. What, you know, the science is less, I think on our ability to pick up on that and stuff like that. But in a real world yeah. example, I mean, I've, I've cer- certainly met people, you know how you meet somebody and you just get a bad feeling immediately when you meet them. That's almost yeah. always pinpoint on. Um, I never yeah. ignore that feeling and I, <laughs> I hope I don't lose half my audience <laughs> saying this, but like, hopefully y'all can relate to where you just meet somebody and you, you just know this person's bad news, right? They just have this yeah. energy that you can quantify as being negative and not good. Right. And if, so then if, yeah, someone at the table, you sense that, you know, they might be a great person or whatever, but you can feel that bad poker energy. They've been losing, they're upset that day that's the person now to just attack, you know, and three bet, or maybe, maybe they're too aggressive and the trap, but you'll, you know, it's, it's really the subtle stuff when it comes to live reads and all that and the energy stuff that it's really, it is hard to quantify, you know, you can't just put a little graph on it and just be like, when he touches his shoulder, you know, then do this. It's like some people make similar movements, but it means something different, but it's more about comfort factor you know, what story are they telling? Is it natural or is it an act? Or, um, yeah, and then just 
with the backup of just logic, you know, logically, would this guy be bluffing here? No, not really. He seems a little nervous, but you know, so you do have to mostly use logic and it's not like I'm out there just every hand going on live reads, but probably back then in 06, you know, I was less studied, you know, I just read some books, but there was no like GTO or I'd never seen a hand matrix. So a lot more live reads, or I was probably depending more on live reads combined with just going aggro. Um, nowadays, it's still there, a lot of live read stuff, but I think even the average like reg or amateur is a little bit better. So you can't just like totally own them, you know, every, every hand, you know, but sometimes I give you a little something and, you know, it just is reliable and you pounce on it, you know, and energy doesn't lie. So, you know, there's a, another thing too. It's like for the, the audience that's listening, you, you mentioned something and picking up on energy and like a mood change or, coming to the table compromised in some way, emotionally triggered, whatever it might be. A lot of folks think like, oh, this player plays this strategy. This is how I adapt. This is how I react to them. But we all can have a little Jekyll and Hyde in this, right? You, you may sit down with a player who's one person and then a, a flip switches for some reason and they automatically turn into another person. And being able to yeah. sense that and adjust before everybody else is just such a massive edge. Yeah, it's a huge edge. There's sensing that and there's, yeah, in, in poker, you're either going to learn, the, you're, you'll know the person eventually where you just have played with them before. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, I think just knowing a person can tell you a lot about their poker game. So when they're not playing a hand, they just sit down. Sometimes I'll just like look at them, you know, and get a sense for them. It's like, yeah, older guy, maybe he's tighter, but oh, he's, you know, something about him, he seems like he does have this Jekyll in him, you know, and obviously you see one showdown where he has some interesting hand and you're like, okay, now I know this is capable. He's capable of this. Um, cause yeah, not, not everyone's capable of that, the, you know, that other side, some people are very straightforward and too tight and are just not getting out of line. And they're just, those people are just really easy to play against cause they're not intimidating. They're not aggressive enough. Maybe they're, pretty straightforward. So, you know, the weak players who are at least mixing it up and doing crazy stuff. I mean, those people can be harder to play against sometimes when you just sat down with them. So, you know, it's better to kind of just be a little bit mindlessly aggressive and hard to read and all over the place. I think that's better than just being a little too scared, a little too shy to do anything outside of like really straightforward kind of passive sort of overall play. You learn when you take aggressive lines and you put yourself out there. You give yourself a basis to learn off of. Um, for yeah. instance, like early in my career, I feel like I was probably way too aggressive. And I used to think of it in my mind as like trying to smash you know, a triangle into like a circular hole where it's like this dude is never folding and I still would go for it. But right. over time, like you start learning, you start finding the limits, you start understanding like, okay, don't do that. <laughs> don't punch your stack away. This dude's not folding. You've been through this many times. Okay. This dude's on the fence. I can put some pressure on him. I can, I can probably get the fold, but you never know where the limits are. You never improve your ability to read people or understand how they're going to react. If you consistently take the more passive line, you only learn through experimentation and through aggression. Yeah, I think, and the big point behind that is like, you know, people are sometimes scared to make an aggressive play because if it doesn't work, 
first of all, they might see it as a mistake if it doesn't work, which isn't necessarily true, right? You can make a good bluff or a good bet. It doesn't work that time. Great. Um, but, you know, they see that as a straightforward mistake. Like, I lost these chips. When they're playing passive or like folding or not taking this aggressive line, it's a mistake, you know, if they're not you know, being aggressive enough, but it's easier for them to play that and be kind of, you know, they just fold, they don't lose any chips at that point of the fold uh, or playing passive. So while they're making mistakes, it's less of like an in-your-face mistake. So they're kind of justified in continuing to play passive, you know, and just lose little chips here and there and not make this bluff here and there. And they just don't have big enough stacks and they don't uh, know why they're not successful enough. Um, Whereas, yeah, it's like, you got to make aggressive plays and make mistakes to just know how to tweak it, know what to do. Um, so people will tend tend towards passiveness uh, just when they're kind of weak and trying to not make mistakes. But they're just they're making just as many mistakes is the thing. Uh, yeah, usually a lot of a lot of social proof too. They are social uh, pressure. They don't want to look stupid. They don't want to get caught bluffing their stack off. They don't want to turn over just a stone cold bluff. They you know have this belief in them that maybe people will look at them as a, as foolish or whatever it is like a dummy and yeah. people don't want to do that but it's exactly what you said they make mistakes in the other way and they still end up looking like a dummy it's just right. uh, a dummy that is way less right yeah, yeah way less threatening dummy who's passive um right let's move on to you know you had your massive success um let's talk about a downtime when things just weren't going well, can you describe, you know, your inner struggles? What did that self-talk sound like? Yeah, I think, um, I think naturally like the story of any like young person who gets like quick success and like quick money, there's, I mean, that's how life is. There's going to be variance, right? You're at the top of the bell curve and it doesn't mean you're not a good player and you're not going to, be winning player long term, but just with the life stuff, you know, there is just, you know, for me, it's not like I, you know, was anything like I almost died or whatever. But yeah, I spent a lot of the money. I didn't know how to manage it. I was just kind of playing every tournament, you know, 100% me. Oh, like a 25k, 10k. You know, it's like when you ha- when you had 5k and then never had more than that, and then you have a million dollars. Yeah, it feels like a free roll. It's just like this tool you can use, and it's like from an amateur rookie's point of view, you're just like, let's just fire everything now. You know, let's eat the best food and spend 2000 at the club, you know, three times a week or tw- whatever. So that's, it's fun. And, you know, you're having your fun and, you know, no regrets, but that eventually leads to like, Oh wait, I have to make some lifestyle changes. Um, and usually, you know, things go bad before that lifestyle change can be really implemented because it takes a long time to just understand how to, manage your money more uh especially you know especially then i think it was less of like less like information online and less about gto it was just like oh six there's still good players but like it's not like a lot of people around me telling me exactly what to do my bankroll or anything like that did did you ever go broke or get close to going broke enough to get scared no i've been broke you know a few times uh you know it's like the first year i went a million whatever but like right away, you know, you pay 500000 in taxes or whatever, you know, got a house in Vegas, car, spending all the money, playing all the tournaments on my own. 
So it's like, before you have a million, you're like, oh, I can never spend a million. But it's all proportional. You could literally spend any amount of money. You know, you could lose any amount of money, for sure. If you don't, you know, it's not like I... The, the, you know, the issue was I was working hard at my game, but it, it's not like I had to grind out all these sessions to like get to a million. It's just like, felt I was good, played for a month, had a million. So my <laughs> mind, you know, naturally, I'm just going to be like overconfident. It's kind of easy. Not thinking about, I don't know, that's, that's how time works. Before you go through the struggles, you're just like top of the world, not sure what to tweak until the mistakes are made, right? You got to make the aggressive plays and spend 3000 at the strip club. No, okay, maybe uh, next time, you know, it won't go so aggressive there. We'll just like spend <laughs> 60 bucks, you know, like what's wrong with just like a couple, you know, a couple hundred. So yeah, so that leads to just frustration. You know, we've all been there. You lose a session, you go broke. You know, you cry or you do whatever. You're frustrated, you punch the wall. So, you know, I, I think that if I didn't have a good head on my shoulders, like I was raised well, smart guy, but even me, you know, I went through tough times. So imagine someone who maybe came from like a broken home or like history of like drug abuse. Like this is why lottery winners often, most of them go broke or it's like a curse for almost every big lottery winner because they go from like hardly anything to like millions and millions. And then everyone they know comes out of the woodwork asking for money. They're guaranteed spending on everything. And almost all of them like go broke within whatever amount of time. So poker isn't like the lottery because there's skill involved, but it is in the sense that sometimes you can just win a tournament after first month playing and have a million dollars. And there's not a lot of like connection to that amount of money. Like the work wasn't exactly connected to me having that much, you know? Yeah, it's it wasn't, like wasn't proportional. Were- not proportional, uh, but eventually the variance makes everything proportional. Like you're just gonna, the variance is gonna hit you and you're gonna be as good as you are. That's how successful you'll be over your career. Sometimes you just win the first term and you play and then go through a couple tough years. And then, you know, other people, they start with a thousand, they, they built it to 10K on mine, then they built that to 50K and then it's more gradual. That will probably lead to them being a little bit more professional and, you know, it's going to be harder for that person to like spend all their money and lose their bankroll because they've been consistently managing that role over time. Whereas me, I, I, you know, I had no role to manage, you know, it was just kind of like 5k, no job, but not much expenses, just playing like small and then, uh, and then a million dollars. So the natural, you know, same thing with like a child star, you know, like a child actor, not only does like the industry destroy them, but like all this fame and money and everything, like, it really destroys a lot of them, you know, unless they have really good people around them. So, and we're talking, like, you know, if you're Macaulay Culkin, you're six years, no, imagine you're seven years old. I was 21 and I went through all this shit and I had a good head on my shoulders. If you're like seven or eight and you're now all of a sudden famous or rich, think about proportionally how much tougher life can go for you if you don't get your shit together. You know oh, what I mean? For sure. And, you know, you probably would have been better, better served to struggle for three or four years and barely make it before you hit your bank, right? Um, then you at yeah. least have some idea of variance and idea of expectation moving forward. But yeah. uh, I mean, regardless, I struggled. So it was just, uh, you know, it's nice to, it's nice to be a millionaire. So I'll, yeah. I'll be back yeah. there. And it's hard to find any poker players who haven't really like been broke at some point. 
It's just like sometimes you start with a million and you go broke. Like people think, oh, now that I have this much, I'm not going to go broke. Again, it's, it's why lottery winners go broke. It's just proportional. Like if you have 10 million, you're going to buy this nicer car, this nicer house. So you got to live within your means, you know, and know what that means. And um, a lot of folks sort of equate going broke with being a failure as a poker player, not from the poker player's perspective, more the outside perspective is like, this dude just won a million bucks. How could he be broke a year or two years later? But the reality is, like you said, you're going to the club, you're spitting 3K, you're buying a bunch of crap that you don't need, and that's how you go broke. You, You spend yourself to a point to where your bankroll is not big enough and you're, you're not changing the tournaments that you're entering. You hit a bad run of variance and all of a sudden, you know, you, your lifetime, of course, winning a, a massive amount playing poker, your ROI is huge and you still don't have any cash. And it's yeah. just a natural thing that can happen to pretty much any poker player, especially when you're young and immature and a little naive as to how easy things are going to go if you have that early success. Yeah. And I mean, you don't really want to tell anyone, you know, it kind of can isolate you if you get to a point where you're, you know, there is a little bit of shame, I guess, like that you shouldn't feel, but like, especially the first time you go broke and you coming from a million, there is some shame, you know, it kind of does. That's part of the struggle is your public image in the poker world. Like you don't want people to know you went broke or know that that happens. Like people just think you're bad at poker or whatever it is. Uh, and, and, but, and, and you feel like you, don't, you can't complain, right? Like, like yeah. uh, had Fedor Holtz on and he said when he, he was at the peak of his powers, he, for a year, he was a losing player online and he had had a ton of success leading up to that. And for a year, he felt like he was in this, you know, he just couldn't win no matter what he did. And he also felt like he was isolated. He couldn't tell people because like he's Fedor Holtz. He's won like a W Coop main event already. Like who's going to care or listen to him complaining um after this success so i'm sure that there's there's that thought as well right yeah for sure and you just you know you don't want to like the first time you have to just like you don't want to reach out for help you know you again it's an image thing that you're more concerned about when you're like a young young gun or some people are still concerned about it but it's an ego thing you know you have to shed the ego of like my image and the you know whatever and just if you're good at poker, your game is going to speak for yourself. You're going to have a consistent, long career. You know, forget about the ego and looking cool and pretending that you have all this money still. Like, it's okay that you're, you know, struggling a little bit or going through some variance. Um, you know, and it can be very tough for people, you know, for people outside of poker. Like, you don't want to tell your parents or try, try to make people understand. I had a million and I have zero now, but I'm going to keep playing poker, you know, and I think it's what I should be doing. That's, you know, that's a big thing. It's like your parents are just like, you know, maybe you should stop, you know, but you're like, no, I've been putting years into this. You try and explain variance and like, you're a good player. It's a long-term game. Usually doesn't mean a whole lot to a non-poker player, even if, you know, you try and explain it, you know, it could just sound like you're just bullshitting and you're just a gambler who gambled away your money. So there's a thin line there, you know, and uh, I definitely was gambling a little bit too, you know, it was insane, but, you know, blackjack and stuff that I don't really do now. Cause it's just like, they're different. Like, why am I playing a totally skilled, uh, totally luck game when I'm good at this skill game? You know, I don't really need this quick thrill of like trying to win like one K in a hand. So a lot of the vices just had to be put in check, I think, and just kind of the ego, 
you just got to put your ego in check. Um, stay yeah. calm, you know, stay confident, but the ego has got to go. Vegas is a rough place for a young kid with a ton of money yeah. <laughs> who has any vice. Like just one single vice can sink the ship. One going to the pit too much, going to the club too often. One single vice can cause you to go broke. It's a very it, poker players. It's a very precarious, you know, we're on a tightrope and we can't make any mistakes like that. The old adage that, you know, it's a hard way to make an easy living, very simple, very cliche, but very, very true. Um, very true. Yeah. I mean, uh, Vegas, I mean, I live here now. I got, you know, I got my place here right after that six months after I won. But yeah, any, you know, it's Vegas. So anything you want is here. It's like entertainment and any vice. And yeah, like now that it's been long enough, like I don't even like going the strip much. You know, it's like I'm just the vices I realized were what was kind of slowing down my progress in other areas. And, you know, you got to be able to be it's it's about having the freedom and then still making good choices. You know, like I had a million dollars. That's all the freedom in the world for a 21 year old kid until you make the bad choices. So you have to, with your freedom, still make, you know, responsible decisions um, or you're going to end up, you know, losing your money or being a drug addict or just some kind of addict or, you know, lose sight of what you originally were trying to achieve with, you know, with your skill, with your, with yourself. Yeah. The, it's interesting. The name of the podcast is chasing poker greatness, but sometimes um, catching poker greatness at the wrong time can not be, <laughs> can, can not end up what you thought it would be. If that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah. The ble- I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, not really a curse. It's just like, I mean, if I didn't win right away, maybe, you know, I wouldn't have learned all this at a certain rate I did. Right. You know, and maybe it would have happened later. And, you know, so that's, you know, that's the age old, like, you know, saying is like, you know, suffering growth comes from like suffering, you know, pain is kind of necessary for growth. Because if you're super comfortable just sitting there with your million dollars, not making any changes, I mean, you're not going to grow from that point very much. You know, you have to stay motivated and stay away from the detractors. So, you know, definitely like happy that everything happened how it did, you know, it was a blessing. But for people to just think, oh, it's all just like, it's all just great. You win your million and then everything's just easy, you know, or they look at a celebrity and they think like that celebrity's life is amazing when a lot, honestly, the truth is like everyone's different. And a lot of like famous rich people, you know, you would, if you saw their real life, you would not want to trade with them. You know, I'm not saying that's my life. I'm not like super rich and famous, but like pick some random actor or the president, you know, or, you know, some politician, they, they a lot of them are living like terrible lives because they're like bad people or they're just like someone wants to kill them or they're owned by their money. Who knows? Whatever. Yeah, you know. I mean, in my experience, so I've talked about this on the show, so I'm not going to go too deep, but basically, you know, I was friends with a billionaire in LA that used to play a bunch of high stakes cash games and getting to know him, seeing his life, understanding that like anybody that comes into his circle or interacts with him could possibly have an agenda. And that just that in and of itself creates this barrier to real friendships and authentic relationships. Just that in and of itself is super tough. Because you don't know who to trust. You don't know who's your friend because they actually like you. You don't know who's laughing at your joke because it's a funny joke or who's just bullshitting you. It's very – it's tough. I mean no matter what happens in life, I think there's always going to be some sort of problem that you have to deal with. Nothing is perfect. So for those of you listening out there, like if things aren't going your way, 
that's life. That's just life. how life goes. Yeah, that's that's where evolution comes from. Just kind of fight through the pain. You'll yeah. be fine. I've, I've been there before. Any poker player you've heard of has been, you know, standing by a casino broke or something, just like trying to figure out what to do. Oh, you know, sitting sitting in a hotel room in tears, yeah. just wondering like what happened. And yeah, it, it's it's it can be a very very brutal thing. And having a sports system in place, having folks that believe in you and some sort of outlet that, that you can trust is just more beneficial than I think anybody can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just never, it was never about the money for me, even though I won all this money right away. And I still don't think it is, even though, you know, money's great, but it just goes back to a lot of the stuff I've learned. I mean, you could be a billionaire, but sometimes all that money and all those materialistic things, I mean, it's cliche, but that takes you further from your spiritual path. Sometimes, I mean, it might force you into it through struggle, but you know, we're just living in a world where a lot of people are, are focused on the wrong things and it's taking them away from some kind of good path. Um, you know, I'm not saying don't have money, but money can control you. You know, money can own you if uh, you let it. So you want to you wanna control your money, control your energy. You'll be fine. Absolutely. What is up, my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand, and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, Head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. What would you say, what's the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? Unexpected. Just, I mean, I met so many great people and just my support system is great. Just kind of the poker world, you know, all the people you meet through poker, athletes, actors, you know. Um, it's really just sort of an, an end to like all these different people around the world because everyone likes to play poker. It's very universal. So that was a big thing. It's just like, I never thought I'd, you know, be friends with that person or meet that person. You know, besides that, it's just, uh, it's kind of what I expected. You just have a lot of freedom. You get to kind of choose your schedule and sleep and do what you want. Um, but again, that doesn't mean it's easy because you have to make good decisions. So Everything I've learned, I think just, yeah, I think just the people, you know, the people that I've come across, I think is uh, really just 
one of the most uh, the most beautiful parts of it, you know, like just all these uh, all these people that I call some of my closest friends now, you know, just through if I didn't win that tournament that year, you know, I went back home, I mean, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, met all these people that changed my life forever. So yeah, it's amazing how that yeah. works out, right? Like how these relationships come about and the impact they have on our lives. You just learn. You just learn about people. You know, like you you're playing with ninety year old guy, twenty one year old guy. All people from all across the world, all kinds of jobs. So, just learning about the world through through poker. Yeah. When you uh, when you think about joy in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Probably just um, probably just like the early days, you know, just enjoying playing home games in college, and you know, the first couple like small wins at the casino, you know, where I won like two thousand just in their sixty dollar weekly tournament it's just fun to, you know, the first time you win a tournament or you're doing well in a tournament. Um, that's just kind of what brought me that competitive, you know, spirit. And it is, that is the joy. I've always been a competitor. I always played games with my friends and always was a gamer. So tournament specifically, I think I just latched onto because it's just like this championship. It's just so fun to like make the final table and be the last one standing. So I really do just love poker. So not necessarily one memory, but the early days and winning in the beginning and first meeting all the people just is just really good times, you know? And, uh, it's, yeah, those first few wins, you know, the, it's like, you can feel the air outside. It's crisp and perfect. You have all this excitement inside of you and you're just on top of the world. Um, it's, it's an amazing feeling being that, uh, that 20 year old kid or in your case, 18 year old kid that, that experiences and goes through that. Um, yeah, I mean, only one only one person in the tournament is truly like satisfied. So, and it doesn't happen very often. So, the first time you do it, even if it's a small, you know, local casino hundred person tournament, just like gives you the confidence. You know, that gave me the confidence to be like, yeah, I mean, I could win a bigger buy in tournament. I mean, I played with plenty of players at this point, and I know I'm one of the best players. So, yeah, but just uh, I'm sure, there was a lot of good moments. You know, what about the opposite question? Um, when you think of pain, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Pain, yeah, probably. I mean, you know, definitely going broke the first time, but all kind of related to probably Black Friday was like probably a big event, you know, because, you know, 06 to 2011, definitely kind of went broke before between that, but I was doing okay and came back and full tilt, you know, I was, they were paying me monthly and rake back and, all this stuff. So I was still living in this bubble of like, uh, can't really go broke. I mean, yeah, I lost most of my money, but like they were paying me a lot for the most part. So do, it's not like you I mind saying how, how much they were paying back then. I mean, in the beginning, uh, the first years I was getting like 12, five a month plus like rate back plus like whatever other, you know, money opportunities and like free flights and stuff. Um, and then after a few years, I think I was making like 5k a month and like rake back and like hourly, which is just insane. That's just for like doing nothing pretty much. It's wearing tilt hats. So <laughs> yeah. it's not like I could go broke, broke right before Black Friday. It was more just like bad decisions with money. Oh, okay. I'll just get my check and not spend as much, but I was still like kind of broke because I was still just overspending probably. Um, but you know, I won, I was doing, you know, my, Oh nine and twenty ten were pretty good. I mean, I won some tournaments. I won Borgata in twenty ten, but you know, I, I still didn't have a lot of money. But then Black Friday, it's like lost my job right away. Lost all this guaranteed salary, 
you know, had to deal with all this backlash and, you know, it's not like I had anything to do with it. I was just like one of the pawns of the company, but yeah, you lose all your guaranteed money. Now it's like, that was the first time where I really had to be like, okay, I have to like be a grinder now. And like, I'm not just getting any guaranteed money. Like I actually have to spend even better now and not spend my money and, you know, play solid and no one's going to like, no company's going to have my back now and just give me 5k every month. So that was the hugest thing, you know, that's, that was the big shift. And I'm sure I got way better as a player after that because no time to be lazy anymore. You know, I'm not as comfortable anymore, you know, more, more kind of pain involved here. That's, uh, that's where the growth came from. And it, it took some years, but you know, I, I think I've been consistently successful, but just like 2011 and just leading around that was obviously the most, the toughest time, you know, because then you just realize nothing's guaranteed in life. You know, nothing's guaranteed. You're all in with aces against kings pre. It's not guaranteed. You know, you're going to lose, you know, 20% of the time, you know, not in life. You just can't be like, oh, I'm just going to sit back and get super comfortable in this free money. Uh, things don't last. You just, you know, what lasts is your own skill set what you've created, you know, have you created alternate forms of income? Are you playing in the right games? You know, so it was just kind of a reality check, I guess. Um, Tell me about the backlash. Uh, Do you have any memories of facing the backlash specifically? I mean, me personally, it's not like I was like a figure in it. It's just more people would sometimes make comments or just like someone want to interview about it. Like I had some secret knowledge of what was going on. But yeah, I just think it sucks to be involved with a company that just goes through that. And it was a company that I really love so much. You know, I loved, I had a choice to be on Full Tilt or Poker Stars in the beginning and I chose Full Tilt, you know, you know, and had poker agents. And yeah, it was kind of arbitrary decision at that point because I was going to be making similar money. Obviously, if I stuck with, if I went with Stars, I'm sure that would be way more money. I would have made more money long term, but I didn't know that at the time. So, um, how did it make you feel when somebody makes a comment at the table about full tilt? Yeah, I I mean, I agree with them that no company should be mismanaging funds or doing what they did. But I also think that people hear what they hear and then they come up with their own ideas about it. So And they want to lash out. They want to lash out and they just want to like, I get it. You want to like cuss out Chris Ferguson every time you see him at the table. Like, I, I get it. But... um everyone had their own part in it. And I think it's complex. And I think that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I think that the backlash was, they sh- it should have been there. It was fucked up, but I'm glad people got their money back. You know, I'm glad that I kind of grew from it. Um, but you know, it sucks. Cause I wanted to be on that. I wanted to be on that team. You know, I was a huge fan of Phil Ivy and all these cool players. I really liked that team and it was cool to be a part of it. So it, it mostly, you know, it sucked to lose the money and guaranteed everything, but it just kind of sucked. It was, it was an end of an era. Couldn't play online anymore, um, which was fine. I'm more of a live player, but yeah, it just, uh, it's not like when people talk about it now, like it hurts me because it's like, it's not something I did. It just kind of sucks that it just sort of represented the end of that first part of my career, end of the era. And yeah. I, I can still learn from that. I can say with confidence that it was pretty much, um, most everyone in the poker world got blindsided by that decision. And 
I would, I would assume that you had no idea of the financials of full tilt, right? You just get your check and you cash it and you play on there and you get your rake back and then you go home and like, who wouldn't want to be associated with full tilt back in the day? I was, you know, I wasn't even like, you know, there was like team full tilt. I was just like a red pro. So none of, you know, none of us were like uh, the industry guys or anything or the, the bit, you know, I'm not like a business guy. So I had, I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was there was a lot of money flowing around. It was very clear, you know, that the guy is just like, if you needed like, a, like a, even like a little loan or whatever, and you paid back, like, so the money was flowing. But, uh, you know, who, who, who knows, like, what was going on in the early, early days of online poker. And I don't know, maybe it's subconsciously still made me a little bit, not against online poker, but just I'm a little bit, you know, I'm just liking my live play and I do like online, but it just has a little bit of a sour feeling of like someone could be multi-accounting or it be someone else or they just have their, you know, they have their huge HUD up and I'm not using a HUD and it's still poker, but I don't think it's pure poker. I still think it's poker, but poker is like sitting at a table with people playing poker. Online poker, it's still poker, but you have all these other tools that change the game a bit that, um, you know, plus you hope that the site is managing things correctly and you maybe don't always know. Whereas in a live game, you're just playing poker with chips and hopefully there's not as much cheating or hopefully, you know, you can't, you know, but just, just the fact that someone can play on your account, I think it makes it just a little bit less pure of a game, you know, just someone can win a bracelet on your account and then you won the bracelet, right? I mean, (laughs) yeah, it goes on your resume. (laughs) Cool. Uh, so there's just maybe something subconsciously still there where I'm still just kind of a live guy for life. But I study, I mean, you know, I play online, I study everything. But I didn't play online yeah. for I believe three years after Black Friday, even though there were options. Um Bodog was around. There were places to play in the US, but I didn't number one, I was so naive I didn't think I could lose my job. I didn't think I could get fired. Um, and I did get fired overnight and lost, you know, my only income stream. And I never wanted to be in that position again, where I was just subject to things beyond my control, um, in the sense of online poker. And that does carry over. It is, you know, there is some, some trauma there, especially for folks that went through it. My, you know, there, there were way worse situations than me. I mean, I, I, I know there is a big two plus two thread where, people you know there was one kid that his fiance's family was on the fence about him being an online gambler a poker player and he got all his money locked up and his fiance broke up with him and he found himself like on a bridge you know a few weeks after the online poker debacle and you know uh, a, a friend of mine literally closed on his house on april 15th 2011 oh god and his and his wife was pregnant, um, and he lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, with no like redundancy, no backup casino to to play live. Yeah. It was like, holy fuck, what do I do now? Right? <laughs> um, cool move to move to a different country, guys, or whatever the fuck you had to do. Yeah, go to Rose, Rosarita, Mexico, or <laughs> fly up to Canada to set up a VPN and yada yada yada. The things that yeah. folks did back then, but yeah, it was, it was a very brutal time. Yeah, I mean, if I was uh, if I was just a solely an online player, it would have probably hit me even harder. But it hit me hard because of the full tilt stuff. But I was able to, you know, springboard off it because I'm a live player, and you know, I think that I recovered fairly quick. You know, 
Yeah. And like you said, you, you lost your backup plan. You lost your safety, safety net. So you could no longer be complacent. You had to get in there. It, it's probably, as odd as it sounds, it, you know, like you said, it's probably a good thing long-term. Um, sort of forces you to evolve and grow as a human being. Um, yeah, I see that now, for sure. <laughs> you don't see it at the time always, but you see it later. Yeah, that's how these things work. These like horrible, <laughs> horrible, catastrophic events, like given some time and perspective, you can kind right. of see them you differently. Uh, if you're going to end up on a bridge, I mean, you got to get your priorities straight before, you know, like you are not your money. You know, you could go broke, you could lose your girl, but like you have to have your own, you know, strength and ability to get back out there, you know? And, you know, your girl shouldn't leave you if you're out of money. I mean, she should leave you if you're not treating her right or, you know, this relationship's not good, but it does make you see who's there for you. You know, sometimes when you go through hard times, you know, who's really there for you. And yeah, it makes you just create backup plans. So, And, and it stems from a lack of understanding too. You know, like you were saying, your parents where you run up a million, you lose it. And they're like, you really did like, you really want to play poker. Like this is something that you really want to continue doing and moving forward. Yeah. Like there's just a, a lack of understanding, I think in a lot of cases, especially if like dude's girlfriend, you know, didn't understand poker, had just a passing interest, then it's it just not going to turn out well. It's very bad timing for black Friday in that specific yeah. situation. Very. Yeah. And once it gets, once emotions get involved, and get tough. And when the girlfriend's involved or the parents or something, you do have to manage other people's emotions about it because they're not always as logical or as poker player thinking as you. So you do have to bridge that gap and uh, make sure people around you are comfortable with understanding what variance is. Um, but, you know, there's variance in all things in life. So you just have to prepare for prepare for the unexpected, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we we weren't the first people to get fired in life, and we won't be the last. Um, these right. life disruptions happen all the time. Yeah. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? And we'll say live poker. Uh, live poker. I mean, I would say, I don't know. I, I do like, I mean, people talk about how there used to be more characters and stuff. I mean, maybe if we... You know, I like high rollers and I like the high level play, but you know, somewhere in between where there's some sort of, you know, the poker doesn't have the same feel that it used to. And uh, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's just, you know, maybe just changing how some of the broadcasts are where they're a little more fun. I don't know what exactly that would be, but poker felt a little more fun before. And now when I watch it, I watch it and it's higher level and you learn a lot. But it did feel a little bit more fun before, so I don't know what it is. It's almost like it's more calculating now, or it comes across as more calculating, whereas before it it maybe didn't. A lot of table banter, a lot of talking. I think that, in my opinion, I, I do think that places have gone a little overboard with the lack of table talk, the lack of discussion, the lack of gamesmanship. I think that's the people, the personalities involved in pokers have always been a big part of it. Um, yeah. Now, like look at a, look at a Daniel Negreanu. Would he be famous as a poker player if he never talked? Yes. Would he be as famous? Absolutely not. Would he have brought as many people into the game if he wasn't a talker and relying on live reads? he absolutely would not have brought more people in the game. And when you remove stuff like that, 
it hurts the game overall. And, and you do it under this guise of let's protect let's protect the amateurs or protect the recreational players. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not good, in my opinion, overall for poker. Yeah, and we, and you know, I'm saying this, but even myself, like I'm pretty quiet at the table, you know, calculated, um, and maybe just you know, with you know, solvers and everything, everyone's better now, and a lot of the people that rise to the top might be kind of you know more quiet, introspective, maybe nerdy at for you know, in the earlier in their life, whatever it is. So that might be the natural trend is like better players. They're not trying the strategy of you know gamesmanship and talking as much. And they're relying more on maybe a little bit more, you know, GTO type of vibe. Um, but I think there can just be like a happy medium there. You know, it's not like Negranu's just going all on live reads. Like he knows what he's doing. But uh, yeah, a lot of people just aren't doing that as much. And yeah, I mean, it's a more active strategy where if you have to talk every hand, and, you know, there's a lot going on where you have to mold things to your will. Uh, and that kind of strategy is a lot based on your image and people know you, you're, you're Daniel Negreanu, you know, and you can get people, it's like manipulating people. Whereas a lot of the broadcasts now or players are just more quiet and, you know, using their game to, to speak really, you know, and, and that's, that's fine. I just think that, um, you know, poker is fun and we can make it more and more fun. Um, and I just think that, you know, I'm probably biased too, because when I first won, it was like the heyday. And, but I just think that it felt a little different and we have to figure out how to, how to get it back there without, you know, they, they still like, they still, you know, they'll still do like a poker go where they have personalities and they talk a lot, but I don't think those shows are even done that well either. They'll throw like six people who just like talk too much and they're talking over each other and they're like just trying to get attention i'm not even talking about anyone specific but you'll get like talkers who are maybe weak at poker but they talk a lot it's not exactly the same we want like good players who have gamesmanship who are not just trying to get tv time so you know jamie golding it if you will Jamie golding Uh, it (laughs) you get like jamie gold (laughs) plus mike mattisau you know plus some other talkers at the table and it's just going to turn into a shit show pretty fast yeah. Um, I mean, who's the big, like, who, who's a big talker? It's been like just Kasuf and like, you know, an occasional guy here and there will be on TV who talks. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not it, sure what it is exactly. Yeah. It's hard to quantify. It, it feels different to me too, but we could also be older, right? We, we could have, you know, we could be looking at it from the perspective of, you know, 36 and 30, uh, your 34 year old men versus yeah. this electric atmosphere as a 21 year old experiencing it all for the first time watching the world poker tour. That was like a new thing back then. Like I would always watch the world poker tour. It was like must see yeah. TV for me and the WSOP of course, um, whenever that aired, but I can't even tell you the last time I've watched a poker on TV. It's it, I, yeah. I can't tell you who's won the main event for like the last decade. Actually, <laughs> yeah. like I, I used to watch every anything that was on. I used to watch nowadays. Yeah, I do. It's not my main mode of study, um, and it's still like semi entertaining, especially if a friend's on there. But uh, yeah, I'll still watch World Series, but WPT. Not always watching every episode like I used to. But yeah, I guess me personally, yeah, I'm older now and my study is more just what a lot of people are doing too, just studying, you know, solver solves and just like online material. So what what kind of online, what kind of online material? I mean, if you could be granular as far as like your process for studying. 
I mean, for me, I'm a poker coach. So I have a lot of students. So honestly, I just, I just sift through like everything. Like I'll go to upswing, I'll go to run it once. I'll go to everything, see what, you know, see kind of um, trends to study a lot of videos, create my own material. You know, I don't even like use solvers myself very much. I just kind of study solves of other people and kind of uh, create this, you know, groundwork for my students um, to kind of just have a really solid foundation of GTO. And uh, yeah, I'm just really well-rounded. I don't just study one thing. I kind of, just like I've always been, I always like to play all the games. I like to just kind of see what a lot of different players are saying strategy-wise. And obviously we have solves now, so people are converging in what's kind of correct in certain spots. But the truth is every poker player who you know coaches or makes videos does have their own subtle opinions and um you know and when you when you study from all these different players i mean when you're at the table with them you know you just listen to four hours of them talk about this stuff I and mean, that couldn't hurt you know it doesn't hurt to hear all these guys talk it's kind of like when i used to watch uh film and poker videos i mean that's how you get your uh, scouting reports on players you're going to play and when i first started playing professionally like i had already watched a lot of these guys on tv multiple final tables so you know, nowadays it's less less watching and more less watching like the broadcasts and more just studying like strategy videos. But uh, you know, I think a lot of it's just uh, it's been sixteen years now, so I've really studied all kinds of shit. It's not really one thing. Yeah, just taking taking things in from a lot of different sources, analyzing it, uh, taking the things that resonate with you that you agree with, discarding some others, and just sort of a patchwork moving forward over time. Makes yeah, sense I mean, I'm to me. Gonna have my to own, make. I'm always going to have my own style. You know, I don't teach my students like this is the style you're going to play, but we're going to show you some solves. We're going to show you what seems to be correct. And some hands are pretty straightforward. Like you should do this and other hands, you can be very creative. And there's this game tree where depends on your opponent, depends on the spot. You know, if you do this, it could work out down the road. If you do this and this. So, um, you know, I'm not teaching that this is exactly how you should play. I'm just showing my students all the information that's out there, you know, going with their style and just really looking at their leaks specifically. Yeah. So I, you know, I watch all this stuff, but I don't agree that there's like you exactly, you know, this is correct. Like GTO is not how people play. It's just a, these solves that people study to know sort of this perfect model, but no one actually is just playing GTO. That's a misconception. It's like you can't just play perfectly GTO. And then first of all, like that's not the way to make the most money anyway in live poker. You got to make exploitative plays, which is what I'm doing all the time. I'm going for live reads. I'm doing stuff that I know is going to be off of graph, you know, in certain spots because I'm against this player or I picked up this tell or I think, you know, based on the timing, it might be better to do this here. So Yes, Human beings want a linear path that, oh, I will do this, I will do this, and then I will be successful at poker. And that's just not how poker works. Solvers specifically, they're cool to look at, they're cool to study, they're cool to analyze. I've yet to sit down at a live poker table and have a solver sit next to me and then me know the perfect strategy to battle against this solver, right? And a lot of times, I mean... not a lot of times, but every time when you don't node lock, the solver solves for 
an EV neutral or to get as close to EV neutral as possible, which, like you said, isn't the way to make the money. You make the money by exploiting tendencies and uh, looking at human behavior, analyzing it, finding the patterns. And, you know, for baseline strategy, Solver can be great. You can understand, you know, if this person is supposed to do this and they're doing something else, well, okay, they're deviating from that strategy. What's the adjustment? Then you, you get right. your natural adjustment and you move forward. Um, right. And the thing is, um, yeah, the thing is then the solver will say, you know, 80% raise, 20% call. Well, that's fine. But when you're in a live, especially live poker, you know, you're just in that hand in that moment. So you still have to make that decision in that moment. And just because you know 80% of the time you should be doing this doesn't mean that this time is that falls in that 80%. So I tend to just, you know, you want to go hand to hand and know, the, you know, know the solves, but know that you're not just always going with like the highest percentage and then just best of luck. Like hopefully the solves will get me there. Um, you really have to know when to do the 20% or know when to do the 5%. And it's often something subtle, you know, and uh, it's almost never again, random, you know, right? It's almost never just like flipping a coin and rolling a dice no. and being like, oh, I'm doing this this time. Like <laughs> people right. talk about that. Like I bring the dice to randomize my decisions. And I'm like, how like <laughs> that's so dumb. Like you're just random. You don't even know what you're randomizing for or why you're doing it. It's just like you're uh, right. You should only I mean, you should only randomize when you have like it's the river and you have like an exactly 50 50 decision based on all factors of everything, which is usually not the case. Like you can have some information that's going to, it's never going to just be like up to a coin because I mean, if you leave it up to that, you're not really making the decision yourself. And are you really learning from that experience? If you're just like flipping coins, you know, I don't think you will. Yeah. Um, It's just random. It's just arbitrary. (laughs) Like it doesn't, it's never made sense to me. And like you said, the times that you get to the river and it's like an actual flip as to what your decision ought to be is so rare. I mean, so, so, so rare that you could never um, flip a coin in that situation. You're probably going to be okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's a game of a lot of coin flipping in different ways, but not in the way of letting something outside yourself make the decision for you even if it's 50 50 i mean make a decision and be confident in it you know uh, i don't yeah uh, but yeah i mean if you're playing 10 tables online i mean this is why i'm more a live player i mean maybe you know you're clicking a lot maybe you do do the 80 percent play on each table that's better than you don't have time to look at each table think really deeply about it as much so you you will tend towards the gto stuff online or at least for me personally you're playing more tables less live reads you're naturally going to have a gto mindset more online that's just an opinion but i think it's true you get a lot more information live too that can influence those decisions that appear super close online they can go one way or the other um so a couple more questions and we'll get you out of here my man uh so if you could erect a billboard Every poker player has to drive past on the way to the casino. What does mm-hmm. it say? I mean, don't tilt, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Don't tilt or just be smart. Hard to say. Just know when to quit. Make sure you sleep. <laughs> Get some sleep. <laughs> don't don't uh, just leave your emotions at the door. You know, 
don't be a bitch. <laughs> Can we land on that one? Don't be a bitch. Don't be a bitch. Meaning like, oh, okay, you lost a few hands on the river. I mean, don't don't cry about the table and spew off the rest of your money, you know, or you're not getting hands the whole night. Sorry, I mean, keep folding your do seven off. I mean, uh, don't be a bitch about it. Be patient and just, uh, you know, you can only get what the poker gods give you that day. So, you know, I mean, that's another thing. Like in live poker, how many hands do you really play a day? I mean, it's, it's hard for me to think of going off a solver works in a in such a vacuum where you have all this information, you don't play that many hands. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, maybe that day you make that 20% decision multiple times you know it just that's the it comes up where you have to make that 20 percent or decision instead of the 80 percent so but yeah don't be a bitch don't be a bitch sure. you you yeah. also lack in a live setting too you like the historical data you don't have a database on people you don't have a hud giving you real-time right. information on exactly what people are doing so you lack that information at your disposal you gain the live tells you gain the live reads you lose all the historical stuff yeah, you got a small sample size, which is sometimes enough, usually not. Uh, but yeah, if really good and you can get a live read, then your sample size might be one hand. And then you're like, I know this guy, got him pegged. Usually it's not like that, but... Uh, it know. doesn't take a ton of time. I mean, going from... Like I, I put a lot of time in on Bovada and playing six max there at anonymous tables. You know, after 10 to 15 hands with some players, you can you can key in on what they're doing, get tendencies and sort of understand their strategy and make great decisions. Like you don't need 10,000 hands. You can tell pretty quickly what this dude is about. And, and, and the same is true for live poker. Yeah. And you uh, have your, I mean, you have your HUD, you have your memories, your HUD, right. You know, but it's not exact. It's not in your face and they don't have a HUD either. So this is the dynamic that is different from online. I mean, they don't know your stats you don't know your theirs, and everyone's playing more exploitatively, arguably. So, you know, it kind of makes it a more beautiful game because it's really about being in the moment. It's not like, oh, let's see his last hundred thousand hands. You know, what does this information tell us? Kind of forces your your hand in some decisions if you see these stats live. Yeah, I mean, it's all in your head. It's your live HUD. Yeah, um, it's it's pure. Like you said, I I love that. It's a more beautiful game. It's pure. I had Darren Elias on. A little while back and he was talking about when he plays live poker is he's just in the moment in flow the whole time doesn't look at his phone collects all the data pays attention to everything doesn't get distracted he gets angry at himself if he does get distracted and like this is just a built-in edge for somebody that has a high level of focus and discipline that they can have in the live arena you're not on your phone texting and reading yeah. articles you're collecting information that's beneficial um, or that might be beneficial. It's not always beneficial. Like you could collect, you could have a whole player profile, and he just goes broke, or your table breaks, and you lose it all. So it's this yeah, active exactly. process. Yeah, for sure. And it's a long term. Eventually, you you see the same guys a lot of the tournaments, and eventually, you do know a lot of them. It takes way longer to get that amount of hands, and it's just more abstract because it's in your head. So yeah, and it's, yeah. to me, it's more fun. It's it's very engaging. Um, yeah, live poker. engaging is a good word because when I'm online, I'm liking it. But like when I'm actually at the casino at the table, it's like you're you're here. You know, you're here for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like you're you're swept up in it. You're not just sitting at home watching TV. Uh, you know, clicking like ten tables. So you know, it's cool to be able to play poker from home. But I do like you know, you're still stuck at your computer except for five minutes an hour. So I I tend yeah, 
I'm just a live guy right now. I'm sure I'll have a online resurgence, but right now we're, <laughs> we're live. Yeah. Well, you live in the right place for live poker. I'll give you that. Um, what's your current big goal as related to poker? Building my coaching stuff has always been, you know, what I've been doing lately, and that's helped me get better and building that to maybe something more, uh, more, you know, a bigger, bigger coaching. Um, I do have a lot of students, but besides that, I just want to, I just want to just always be able to do it, man. And, you know, winning more bracelets is great. I'm not going to, you know, set a specific goal, but you know, I would like to win a WPT, win an EPT or something. Um, couple goals, you know, I haven't won one of those, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it really matters for me to set a certain number of titles or whatever. I just think it's more like being able to play for my whole life and keep the freedom and keep getting better, travel to new places and just improve, you know? And, uh, I think when I just kind of got more comfortable, like black Friday happened and I had to get better and got more comfortable. That's when I won my third bracelet is I kind of just was a little bit less stressed and I wasn't really like worried about winning another bracelet or the image of it. And then I just, and then I did, you know, and then won another one a couple of years later. So I don't know. I, I think it's good to have goals, but if you set too many goals, it's just about like, Oh, you hit the goal and then it's the next goal. And it's not about the journey as much. So I just want to enjoy the the journey of being able to yeah. Play professional yeah. poker, you know. Your, your goal is the journey. <laughs> your goal, goal is to keep enjoying yeah. the journey, keep having the journey. And that's yeah, a great I mean, goal. You're never going to be happy if you're just got to hit 20 bracelets to be happy. No, it's great to achieve, but uh you can't really I don't want to put a materialistic goal on something that is so important as my entire life's profession. Because uh, you know, okay, you won the Oscar. I mean, is your are you done acting forever? Is that all it's about? I mean, it's just a, it's a statue. It's great. You get the accolades and stuff, but then your life keeps going, right? And you keep you're still on the journey. So it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's like a toxic goal in both senses. Because number one, at least in my experience, anytime I've had an expectation in poker, that's the time that poker decides to curb stomp my head. Uh, if <laughs> yeah. I if I start yeah. having expectations, I'm gonna oh I'm gonna make. 30k this month. I'm going to make 20k this month. I'm going to play this many hours. This is these are the results that are going to happen because I've done the math, I've extrapolated it, yada yada yada. That's when I get my ass handed to me every single time. So when you have these expectations, you get crushed. And then when you achieve them, you also don't have any follow-up, so you also get crushed. So you get crushed from yeah. both sides. Get crushed. And in a small in a small sample, it's like a student will be like, you know, I just want to get to like 100k stack by the end of the day. Like, I don't know if that's going to really help you because you don't know if you're going to get the spots to be able to get to 100K. You don't get to 100K, what you're going to be disappointed. And then, like, you're trying to, like, you know, it's going to affect your game. If you do get to 100K, you know, now you're going to get too comfortable. So it's just like, yeah, like, expectations are just like a fool's game because, like, you can't predict the variance. You can't predict the spots you're going to get. And you don't want, you're creating an emotional, you're setting yourself up for an emotional situation to happen where you didn't hit your goal or you did. Both are kind of not amazing for your consistency necessarily. I mean, where you, you know, in the sense that you don't want to get overconfident just because you're winning two bracelets, like, oh, oh, seven. Now I'm going to win a couple more bracelets. My expectations are super high. That led to negative emotions, sadness, right? Like, um, and if I did do it, I mean, it's great, but you just don't want to get over ego, over egotistical where it's about 
have to win this bracelet, have to hit 20 million lifetime earnings. If you're good enough, you know it'll happen, right? It's not like you're not trying to win. When you're not thinking about your goal, you're still trying to play your best. So, you know, sometimes... Sometimes, you know, the world doesn't align to ensure that we we can hit like a 100K on day one type goal. The, The only thing you can do is play to the best of your ability, make the best decisions you're capable of making, and then, as they say, let the chips fall where they may and just be at peace with that. Yeah, just keep yourself in the game, you know, and play your best. And uh, again, goals are great, but uh, yeah, the journey. The journey is important. And you realize that more later sometimes, but, uh, you know, like in the beginning when I won, it's like just kind of spending money and it's just all like whatever. But later on, you realize like, you know, the decisions throughout that journey or how you felt about it was what was important. So Yeah, it's the real yeah. meat of the situation. Um, final question. We'll get you out of here. Somebody wants coaching from Jeff Madsen. Somebody wants to find you on the internet. Where do they go to do that? Yeah. So my coaching, you can just hit, hit me up on my email, Jeff Madsen coaching at gmail.com or just like hit me up on any social media. You know, there's no website or anything yet. It's just like, I'm just a private coach and I have, you know, about 35 students right now to different degrees. Um, very flexible. And I think I'm probably different from a lot of coaches or a lot of coaching situations because I'm really just pinpointing the individual student, finding their leaks. Not that that's not what other things are doing, but a lot of coaching now is just online videos and a student might get a little lost not knowing where to start. So with me, it's really like, I'm going to pinpoint right away what we need to work on and things really start moving in the first few hours. So yeah, Jeff Madsen coaching at gmail.com. Yeah, there's a lot of value in general poker wisdom and coaching people generally. And there is shit tons of value in specificity and directly analyzing somebody's database, directly analyzing their hand histories and pointing out their leaks specifically for them. Because as I've learned in poker, People can. People are very creative on the way that they lose. <laughs> people are very creative on the ways that <laughs> yep. they make poor decisions. Not everybody does it the same. Um, so understanding exactly where you're going wrong or your students are going wrong, massive benefit to them. So check out Jeff Madsen's coaching. Sir, it has been a delight and a pleasure having you on. I'm very, very grateful for your time and energy. Let's do this again sometime a little farther down the line in your poker journey. Definitely. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. It was fun. My pleasure. Talk to you. everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.